The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, Internet. Welcome to another episode of the Brita World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, here with John Daigle on this lovely Thursday afternoon. Daigle, how are you? We didn't have to throw on button-ups and put on makeup this morning, so <laughs> that's an immediate win for both of us, honestly. No, we don't have the light shining on us today. We don't have the cameras on. We're doing this from the NBC Sports radio studio, spa-like radio studio. I like the feel of it, honestly. I enjoy when we get to show up and it feels like radio. That's what I did in college, so uh, this feels more normal to me. Uh, Daigle, I have a conundrum I need your help with. I'm concerned. You always are with I, these moments we have. When you ask me show. questions, I don't know what's going to happen next. All right. So this is the situation, and I just want your two cents. I want your advice, okay? Okay. I think we've all been there. Um, you go into the bathroom. You handle your business, right? And as you are washing your hands, you might lean against the countertop or some excess water from the faucet might splash on to your pants. Yes? Yes. In that region, let's call it, okay? What – is a person to do because this happened to me the other day and i've been thinking about it ever since what is the appropriate action to take when you cannot walk out into a office full of hundreds of people with water or a substance they don't know what that substance is splashed upon your region yes because you can take the napkins as much as you want or the paper towels and dab yourself but it won't go away uh, so like you so, said we've all been in the situation yeah so so what is the appropriate action here? um what should I, I have done? So I usually, it's in your crotch area, right? Yeah, I was trying okay. to avoid the C word. Well, the crotches, it's family friendly. This is a <laughs> PG podcast. Uh, so I usually just put my fist, I, I curl up my hands and I put my fist over it and then I walk out like that because that's how Stone Cold used to walk. So I think I can walk like that. So if you just like put both your fist in that general area and then walk like that, it actually it doesn't look too out of the normal. You're laughing right now, but... It's, it's like it's you're not too insane. Yeah, because I should say you aren't bringing yeah, – you don't have a jacket on. There's nothing that you can cover it up f- at least from the walk, yes. from the bathroom to your desk. I mean I would have said like maybe a more reasonable action to take would be to stand underneath the dryer and just let it go. And But that takes time. Like you, you, you also don't want to be in the bathroom for 10 minutes more than you planned on being because, again, this was an unplanned act that occurred. Right. I don't want to bully khaki wearers, but, like, if you're not wearing black slacks or dark jeans anyhow, then you're living life wrong. 
Like, what are you? Huh. What are you doing from the beginning? I don't own jeans. We talked about this. Uh, this it's crazy, but you should. Okay, so if you don't own dark jeans like I always wear, uh, you should own black slacks. That's always my second Why? go-to. Because it cover, some it covers flavor, up stains. Some color to your no, life. but black goes well with white shoes. Like you can do a lot with black slacks and be fashionable. And this okay. is coming from the person who gets yelled at for his attire every this, single this Sunday was morning. Not the advice he doesn't know how to dress for. himself. So if anyone out there has better advice, just please let me know. Again, this is in the past. This is not happening. You're also to me, talking to the I person who it. literally leaves the bathroom. I'm not even kidding. If I go to the bathroom three times a day, two of those times there will be water on my shirt somehow. Got and, it every single time and i just like shake it off i say what the hell to well, myself now you can and I claim it's out. actually water compared to any other substance Very okay true. uh should we set up week five Tegel? yeah i'm ready for this uh yes it is week five and we have listened to you ladies and gentlemen we have listened to you so we are changing up this preview episode no more just rankings section by itself more games is what you wanted, so more games is what you're going to get. Daigle and I will continue to preview three games by our lonesome. Then we will add Patrick Doherty in, preview three games with him, and then another three games with Hayden Winks. If you include our Wednesday episode previewing Thursday Night Football with Ian Harditz, that means we will be previewing 10 games per week. So if your game does not cut it, that's just how the cookie crumbles and root for better teams, more entertaining teams. Mm-hmm. That's that's really the main goal here. All right. Let's start this week's preview with Minnesota at the New York Giants. The Vikings are four-and-a-half-point road favorites. Both teams are two-and-two here, Daigle, with an over-under of 45. It's been an interesting week for the Minnesota Vikings. We've had public apologies from Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. We've had Stephon Diggs missing practice due to non-injury-related reasons. We've had Adam Thielen saying this team must be more balanced and be able to actually throw the football instead of just run it. Uh, It's not one of those that you head into a game against a get-right defense here with the New York Giants with a lot of positive buzz on this Vikings passing game. Yeah. What do you think will happen with Stephon Diggs? Because he clearly plays on Sunday, correct? Yes. Yes. I think he does. I I think so as well. And they've already said they're not trading him. Yes. I I think it's become too overblown. Uh, The issue is that – Kirk Cousins has been in this opportunity twice already this year. Like, we now have a bad Giants pass defense. They're middle of the road um, and football outsiders pass defense DVOA. But in week one, they played the Falcons, who he should have attacked. They used Dalvin Cook to their advantage and just ran all over them. And thus, Cousins didn't have to attempt a pass in the fourth quarter. So we can throw out the 10 attempts in the window, whatever. Either way, wasn't too good of a day. Um, We go into Oakland, another good spot for Cousins, and Oakland uh, 174 yards and a touchdown. And their pass defense is technically, across the board, worse than the Giants. So now we get the Giants, and we're all telling ourselves, oh, like Daniel Jones will probably make some magic against their defense. Uh, Kirk Cousins will have to be used this game. But again, we've had two performances where Kirk Cousins should have done something, and he has done nothing. Um, And remember, he's the one the Vikings set the market for initially, giving him the quarterback contract. $84 84 million million guaranteed. All guaranteed. So if you're using him as a game manager now, what happens if the Giants, and and they've been immediate middle of the road against the run, but what happens when they stop Dalvin Cook, if they stop Dalvin Cook? Well, if they stop Dalvin Cook is probably the better question because when has not really been feasible so far this season. Um, Look, I just think that this is kind of who Kirk Cousins has been his entire career. When he is on good football teams with good protection, he can hit receivers down the field. And that was the same case in Washington and it's been the case previously in Minnesota. 
I don't know if I want to put blame here on Mike Zimmer, put blame here on Gary Kubiak, but this is a team that did not really want to invest more in trying and or even use words to elevate their passing game. Mm-hmm. It's all just been focused on the running game, and that has worked. That has worked incredibly Absolutely. well so far this year. Maybe Dalvin Cook, other than Christian McCaffrey, has been the best running back in the NFL so far this season. But this kind of shows you that when your offense is that run-oriented, when it doesn't even have balance, major questions can be had when you don't have a quarterback that doesn't win on individual efforts. Again, if this is one of those games that I think might be a turning point for the Viking season, right? Because mm-hmm. it is a Giants team that is so bad defensively, especially against the pass, that if Kirk Cousins does not get right this week, if Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs don't both go off, then you will have major concerns. But rather than paint a picture for the remainder of the, what, 12 games on the Giants on, on the Vikings schedule, I want to see what this game has in store for us. Yes, because his 75% completion rate from last week was obviously a farce. Uh, we've seen the cut-ups and clips of him missing Adam Thielen, hence the uh, aggravation going on right now in the Vikings locker room. So it is, it is a big prove-it day for Kirk Cousins and that passing offense. Let's go to the Giants' side of this because I rank the rookies each and every week, so I mm-hmm. definitely watch – Daniel Jones's last two starts. And I don't think – well, for one, let me start with the positives. Daniel Jones in his first two starts has been exponentially better than Eli Manning. And most importantly, it's come from winning those plays out of structure, when the mobility has to be uh, on screen. And he's very good in that. He will throw when there are defensive linemen, linebackers, free rushing directly at him. He will buy himself some time. He'll even pick up yards with his feet. If there is a slight concern from last week, Daigle, it's that on his two interceptions last week, the football just died down the field, okay? And they were bad interceptions. They allowed the defensive back to undercut them, and the Washington Redskins defensive backs aren't very good. I'm not going to say that because of that Daniel Jones has a weak arm, but again, two-game sample size, very small. If there is one concern that I have for Daniel Jones moving forward, it's that he might not have that velocity to hit those tight window throws 15-plus, 20-plus yards on the field on a consistent basis. Yeah, he's one for six on passes 20-plus yards downfield right now. Do you think, given Golden Tate's skill set now being added into this offense, do you think that actually opens things up, or are they similar? Is his route similar to Sterling Shepard's? Because they can both play the slot. I think think they're going to mix it up as well. Yeah, I have no idea how they're going to deploy both of those players. And this is not a Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury case, who we'll talk about later, of, hey, we're going to have two slot receivers and a tight end in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those in Shepard and Golden Tate will have to play on the outside. Yes. I'm wary of moving Sterling Shepard further outside. He can probably do it better than the two because we've seen Golden Tate try that and it just hasn't worked. But Sterling Shepard is a younger and better player than Golden Tate to me right now and he's he's been fantastic in the slot so far this season he and daniel jones have had a great connection i i don't know how they're going to deploy all three of them but you're right on paper tate and evan ingram most likely win the same area of the field shepherds played 80 percent of their slot route so far so i would imagine with the eagles anyway last year when tate was traded there he played 72 percent of their slot routes so 
I would think Shepard probably comes down to around 70%, if not a little lower. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, how detrimental is that to your offense is the question. And Saquon Barkley might play in this game. I mean, it's wild. He's running I, in I practice. Don't he's, he's think he will. I know. I know. He's superhuman. I understand that. But I don't think he plays this one. Now, Patriots, if I actually had to put money on it, I would say he plays. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, a high ankle sprain is usually four to eight weeks. And, and by the way, it might be less than two weeks. And like, we're all humans. Like, you and I are the same. Well, I don't species. know if we're the same species as Saquon. Okay, Bradley. maybe you're right. Maybe we're not. You've seen my combine video. Okay, <laughs> next game, like I mentioned, with the Arizona Cardinals at the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Bengals this season, three and a half point home favorites in this one. Uh, a total of 47. Daigle, we had our choice of like eight games to pick. Uh huh. And you wanted to talk about this game. You're peeling back the curtains now. Why? First of all, you have to go through our office tradition weekly where you come sit at my desk while I'm working news. And then you're like, okay, what games are we talking about today? And we usually get into an argument about one. And the weekly week five argument was this game because you didn't want to talk about the Bengals and Cardinals, which I understand. But for fantasy purposes, I think there's a lot. There are a lot of reasons to talk about this game. Uh, We can start with the Cardinals who have been a, Absolute disaster so far. The past two weeks, defenses in particular, playing them over the top. This is not a good start to uh, sell this. Yeah, Kyler game. Murray under five yards attempt in both games because Cliff Kingsbury's logically doing what's right, taking what's been given to him. The issue is in today's offense, in today's NFL even, you can't take what you're given and throw three-yard attempts and then just hope to continue getting yak. Like That's not the way you play now. Um and now we don't have Christian Kirk playing the slot. So we are assuming we get a kick returner, Farrow Cooper, who they signed on Tuesday, playing a full-time slot role, as Cliff Kingsbury said. And then we have Keyshawn Johnson. And uh, name This Flip- is going to be brutal, Daigle. It's, it's going to be brutal. But both teams, here's the thing, both defenses are so bad, I still think there's a lot of production. Like, we're not selling David Johnson. David Johnson has had... As, as many targets on 9 and 11, I believe, the past two games because he has been forced to be used as a pass catcher. Well, can I tell that you why? That also gets Chase Edmonds involved, though, sure. as well. Can I tell you why sure. this is all happening? Because Cliff Kingsbury needs to be put on notice, okay? Mm-hmm. This has been an awful start to the season for Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. He got by in the opening two weeks, and we all had this excitement, this optimism, because we had no idea what this offense might look like. The first two weeks were exciting. I mean, they tied the they tied the Lions to start the year, and the Lions are a legitimately a good football team. But what we learned is that all Cliff was doing was using two slot receivers and his best wide receivers mm-hmm. with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and running vertical routes out of the slot, which had kind of been underused throughout the league for a long time. After defenses started taking those away, mm-hmm. I mean, the last two games, Kyler Murray has barely connected down the field at all. After those plays had been taken away, Cliff has been unable to pivot. He has shown nothing besides that. He is putting the entire offense on rookie Kyler Murray's shoulders, which may be fair as the number one overall pick, but there's also one of the least talented teams, if not the least talented team in the NFL. So David Johnson is getting involved because right now the most productive part of this offense is Kyler Murray buying himself time behind the line of scrimmage, winning outside of structure, and then allowing all of his receivers to work downfield and then dumping it off short to David Johnson and allowing a super athletic running back to rumble down the field and make people miss. That's not consistent week to week. Mm-hmm. That's not consistent game to game. That's not consistent drive to drive. It's not an offense. It's not a structure. It's 
a mobile quarterback dumping it off to an athletic running back and allowing him to win. That's not how you want to write it on paper. And it's because of Cliff Kingsbury. They don't have a an identity right now. They don't. They are lacking the outside receiver. It's what they need. Uh, it's built on two outside receivers playing alongside these slot guys, and they have nothing. And the guy they may have, Andy Isabella, they are determined to just keep on the bench the entire year. Don't you think there's a reason why? There has to be. Yeah, No, I'm not yelling about it. I, there probably is a reason why. Um, but Friend even, of the show, Andy Isabella, by the way. Is he really? Did He's you, been on this podcast. Oh, yeah, you did interview him, didn't you? I did. Uh, well, we need to interview him again and ask why Cliff <laughs> Kingsbury hates him because clearly they're not going to play him. And, but even, so that's my issue though. Like perhaps he's doing something wrong in practice. There's something to this, I'm sure. But at least on the surface, he's still better athletically. And like, even just look at his speed, your 40 time, whatever. Um, he's still faster than the rest of them. So like, why, I don't understand why he's not at least given a shot. They oh, have, no, I agree. It, it's, it comes down to the point where they're on, they're just on rags right now. You have no other choice. Like why the hell not? Well, look, I'm not going to call DK Metcalf a limited player in the Seattle Seahawks, but at least they are using him where he wins. His strengths, yes. His strengths. He's literally wanting, running one route, and he's playing on one side of the field. Yes. Why can't a quote-unquote offensive mastermind of why he was hired in this case, I mean, that's debatable, but why he was hired in Cliff Kingsbury, be able to scheme his outside receivers open? All it has been so far, and you would agree, is slot receivers doing all the work, and then when that is not open, forcing this offense to, on Kyler Murray's shoulders. He's done nothing to alleviate some of that weight that's on Kyler's shoulders, and it's it's very concerning four games into the season. I, I agree. I still want to see how he reacts and how he changes the game plan going forward. Well, he hasn't. And perhaps, oh, that's what I'm saying, perhaps he doesn't. Perhaps that's this my is concern. what we get. And if, and if this is what we get, you are right. It is, it a is failed, so wild. Unfortunately, a failed project. It is wild that Steve Kime has a job. Based on yes. this roster. Just unbelievable. But I'm not giving up yet. I'm not giving well, up I yet. I mean, let's talk quickly about the Bengals. They don't have John Ross. He's mm-hmm. on IR. I think he can't come back for another eight weeks. Uh, Alden Tate will see a lot more playing time. We'll be running a lot of routes. We'll be playing a lot of snaps. Uh, look, I'm not sure what to think of this Bengals offense because a lot of it hasn't worked either. Uh, and the offensive line is a major issue and continues to be each and every week. Oh, oh, disaster. But – it is a, and we talk a lot of big picture on this podcast, uh, but I want to dwindle it down to individual performances here because I think there's a lot of reasons to enjoy the fruits of this Bengals offense this week in particular against the Cardinals defense. Um, as we know, the Cardinals defense this year, 33 points, 31 points, 24 points, and then uh, 14 points allowed to quarterbacks, the 14 points being Russell Wilson, who didn't need to throw the ball because Carson, Chris Carson just ran all over them. There was no need to get Russ involved. Um, and then we look at their their defense against tight ends, and as we know, uh, at least a touchdown allowed to every single tight end they've played so far. And you have Tyler Eifert as well. The Bengals were in such a bad situation, highlighted in an island game on Monday night. Everyone saw it. But historically, Andy Dalton hasn't played well against common opponents, hasn't played well in primetime, hasn't played well in division games. And then uh, the Steelers' high pressure rate, now playing against the Bengals' terrible O-line. It was kind of a disaster that was meant to be. I do think the Bengals are going to look great in this game, honestly. Mm. My one concern here, and I didn't really even think on this idea until talking to friend of the show, Rich Rebar, and then he brought it to my mind. He's like, hey, they don't have a speed guy anymore. How do they even threaten over the top? Does this become the horizontal raid versus the horizontal raid because they have no choice? And it actually 
it, it started to make sense, sort of. Uh, you look at the three receivers they have on the field now in their 40 times coming out of college, Damian Wills, 4.56, Tyler Boyd, 4.58, and Auden Tate, 4.68. What do you do with three guys who can't beat you just in pure speed? Because John Ross ran a 4.2. That at least opened up. I'll tell you what you do. You don't watch this you football game. You don't watch game. this game. You still play on Tate, Andy Dalton, Tyler Eifert, but yeah. I, I I think we're still kind of hanging on to that first half against Seattle Seahawks, and that's just not the Bengals. Like that was that might have been their peak for the entire season. Week right. one was fun as hell, though. Let's all agree that week one was fun while it lasted. Let's close out our three pack with the Cleveland Browns at the San Francisco 49ers. This is the Monday night football game. The 49ers, might I add, undefeated at three and zero, are three and a half point home favorites here. Uh, let's start on the. Brown side of this because they actually played this past weekend. Yep. Um, look, this offense got back on track. Baker got back on track. Freddie uh-huh. Kitchens ba- got back on track. And Daigle, I know it's in vogue, on vogue, some might say, to rail against running games. But I might offer their previous performance as, hey, if the Browns are going to sustain success right now offensively, the offense should flow through Nick Chubb. I agree. And they obviously utilized more 12 personnel in getting Nick Chubb involved, having two tight ends on the field to block more for this team. Uh, 6% 12 personnel their first three games. In this game, 22% against the Ravens. Averaged 17 yards per attempt on offense from 12 personnel. Um, Baker Mayfield, this does not go against Nick Chubb, but it did help him nonetheless. Um, Baker Mayfield, 30th in time to attempt through the first three weeks. Fifth overall this past week. and Getting rid of the ball quicker now. Um, it does need to flow through Nick Chubb, and the 188-yard score bulks his stat line up, makes it look that much better. Having said that, he was still 1574 and two touchdowns before he ran that one off. So he was still having a really good day. My concern now is we play a Niners defense who is not a it's good overrated Ravens defense, which we'll touch on later. Correct. Um, the Niners have allowed under four yards an attempt, 3.4 to be exact, to 12 personnel. So the Browns are looking on leaning on that they also know they're going into a buzzsaw against 12. So how do you react? And this is an offense that didn't make changes for three weeks. Do they make changes accordingly one week later? And I don't think they do. Yeah, it's one of those games that, to me, Odell has to get going, right? He has to get going. And he didn't get going last week, and they were still able to win because Jarvis Landry somehow racked up a lot of yards. Nick Chubb still racked in concussion up a lot of protocol, yards. by the way. Ricky Seals-Jones racked up some big plays. Odell, we still have not seen him when the Browns are at their best, him also be at his best. On the 49ers side of this, talk about being their best, the defense is, right? I still don't think Jimmy Garoppolo has been. Yet, yep. this team is 3-0, and we kind of forget how good they played in those first three games because, again, they're coming off a bye week. But I look at this, and an optimistic view is if the defense can maintain the success. If the running game, which other than the Vikings, might be the best in the NFL right now in the 49ers, can maintain that success, and you sprinkle in – super positive plays from Jimmy Garoppolo. This is one of those contenders in the NFC West that is exciting. It's energizing. It's entertaining. And I would not be surprised if at home in this spot, again, coming off a bye week, if they just take it to the Cleveland Browns. Now there has been, let's get this out of the way. Let's both talk about this because Tevin Coleman, he hasn't practiced yet. He's, I don't think he'll actually play this week. I could be wrong, but let's say he does play week five. Let's just talk about the future, week six, whenever he comes back. You can't move away from Matt Burrito. You can't move away from Raheem Mostert. 
then maybe Tevin Coleman just takes Jeff Olson's spot near the goal line. The only actual report I've heard is it was Matt Barrows at The Athletic. He wrote that Tevin Coleman would be in line to healthy scratch Jeff Wilson, and then Tevin Coleman would be the goal line back. Yep. But then that also means that Tevin Coleman plays 20% of snaps or so. Correct. And I do think – and. I got yelled at because I I wrote about this in the waiver wire column like in week four as well, noting Coleman as a potential drop if you needed a spot immediately. I do think Coleman plays under 30% of the snaps when he comes back. I don't – that's absolutely in the range of possibilities, and I think it's not as crazy. Look, I I mean, I think it's a great issue to have. You know, yes, it, I mean we yell about fantasy, right? But right. for the team, they are in such a good spot. And this is this is the uh, the second run heaviest team, I believe, in neutral situations. Minnesota will never not be that. Quietly intrigued by what Dante Pettis's role is going to be out of this buy. Yeah, what was it uh, last week? I wrote about it, but I don't have it in front of me. I think it's five targets, snaps. four catches, and yeah. like. 40 yards and a, and a lot of his damage was at the end, but Correct. he still played. He, he, he still sprinkled in catches first and second quarter. Like he was on the field though. Right. So I'll, I'll be interested in that. And then George Kittle has not found the end zone despite finding it twice in the first game of the season, getting both of those taken back. He, it's just time. Per NFL Network's Graham Barfield leads the Niners, George Kittle, in red zone and end zone targets, and uh, number one in share of air yards and second in target share among all tight ends. It's coming. Now we bring on the lovable Patrick Doherty, and in his words, the Roger Federer doppelganger. Uh, Pat, we're going to preview three games with you this week. The first those is the- not, Those are other people's words about me that I then re- relayed about myself, and it was more 10 to 12 years ago when I had longer hair and wore headbands all the time, just to clear up the record. Yep, glad you cleared that up. Uh, Baltimore Ravens at the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a total of 44.5 with the Baltimore Ravens, Pat, as three-and-a-half-point road dogs. It's, just, it's an interesting one, Pat, because in the first two games of the season, we thought the Ravens might be one of the best teams across the NFL, mm-hmm. right? Both offensively and even defensively despite all their losses. And, Pat, they've kind of come back to earth the last two weeks, one with the flow of the passing game early in games, and then, two, this Ravens defense – looking on the verge of trash. Let's put it that way. They have a lot of work to do. What's your read on um, really the the Ravens and Lamar Jackson early in games, Marquise Brown, who didn't put up a lot of yards last week either? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so hard not to overreact to what we see in week one and even week two. Um, But, you know, in hindsight, at Miami uh, versus the Cardinals, uh, maybe we should have been a little more circumspect uh pumps the brakes just a tad but uh what we've seen the past two weeks is still very usable in fantasy we're seeing kind of more 2018 lamar jackson than 2019 but he's established a ceiling which he didn't really do last year so we know that ceiling at least exists for great matchups uh this isn't necessarily one of those this week but we may you know on defense too like maybe we underrated the loss the slot cornerback Tavon young uh you know, Jimmy Smith has not been healthy early in the season. Uh, yeah, we were maybe just a little too charitable after the Miami Dolphins left people you know, literally uncovered down the field in week one, and then the Cardinals did their thing in week two. But just uh, as we were probably a little too generous in weeks one and two, I mean, there's, there's no real reason to like sell the Ravens after the past two weeks. Obviously, two tough games, but uh, we we've seen downside, but we've also seen a lot of upside and. Uh, yeah, I'm still optimistic long-term on the Baltimore Ravens, especially in fantasy. So what about Marquise Brown, who basically failed us industry-wide last week um, as the Ravens just got pummeled in negative game script and Marquise Brown couldn't deliver anyhow? Where do you go back to him this week in your rankings? 
still a low-end wide receiver, too. You know, last week was the first week out of four weeks that the air yards didn't really pop. Uh, he still drew seven targets. Uh, his overall usage, not to mention his overall numbers, uh, still very much remain that of a wide receiver, too. And, you know, he's got a little bit of a floor, and we've seen the ceiling. So, uh, yeah, we, we know all about these volatile guys in fantasy, kind of like the Deshaun Jackson types who will maybe – have a, a lower floor than you'd like, but I mean, Marquise Brown is still going to be very capable of winning weeks kind of all by himself. So you have to kind of take the bat with the good there, but that's, that's a wide receiver too. Someone that can single handedly win you a week, no matter what, that's a wide receiver too. Yeah. Marquise Brown had 147 air yards in week one, 155 in week two, 49 in week three. And then I think it went all the way down to like 41 last week. So you're right. I mean, he's a high variance player. He didn't really look like it early in, the season, but those were bad teams. And I think exactly like you said, comparing him to someone like Deshaun Jackson, when he hits, he might even win you weeks. What about the Pittsburgh side? Another receiver here, Pat, because I can't tell you um, how often this week I've been asked about Juju Smith-Schuster and a lot of people wanting to just unload him. And what can I get for him? What wide receiver two can I be looking for? Someone like Kenny Galladay, perhaps. Uh, Mm. Pat, what's your read on Kenny Galladay this week? Where is he in your rankings? Because even in a win this past week against the, Bengals uh it wasn't because Juju Smith-Schuster had a big game well Kenny Galladay is unranked on by uh sorry to make light of a misspeak we, we do that <laughs> all the time uh but uh you know Juju Smith-Schuster there's no one real metric where he pops that you kind of cling to like this is going to get turned around uh he's tied for 46th in targets he's 56th in air yards uh, Mason Rudolph is third to last in average intended air yards which we know we saw kind of come to its logical conclusion on Monday night against the Bengals, where Rudolph's passes were essentially you know glorified handoffs to running backs. Uh, you know this is like going to be a yak offense, a yards after catch offense for fantasy. Uh, the good news, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster led the NFL in yak last year, so maybe you're going to cling to one thing. I mean, there should, in theory, be a place for Juju Smith-Schuster in an offense like this. Uh, they just haven't worked it out yet, and. Yeah, I, I see no immediate light at the end of the tunnel. But he's a guy, Juju Smith-Schuster is so good. And like I said, the yak ability is so great. You can't fade him all the way out of the top 24 because you know this is someone the Pittsburgh Steelers still need. I just wouldn't be shocked if it took a few more weeks for him to kind of find his place in this bleak new offense. Um, but if you're, I, I've, John, I mean, do you have, who would you sell? Who could you expect to get for Juju Smith-Schuster right now? I don't even really – it's like such a tough. I mean, are you trying to get like a guaranteed wide receiver three? You're hoping for like an RB two. I wouldn't even know where to begin, really. Uh, yeah, I would. I kind of like that Kenny Galladay idea, although I'm not sure someone would sell you Galladay after the nearly two touch or two touchdowns. Some someone offered or tried to take Tyree Kill off my hands for Juju, and I said no to that too. Uh, absolutely not. Right. I would keep Tyree, especially now that's trending that Tyree's going to be back. Would you trade Juju for Larry Fitzgerald? No, Oof. I would keep. I would keep Juju. Probably question mark. Yeah, it's a tough um, one. Um, I just want to quickly say though about this game that your offense should not hinge on Vance McDonald being healthy. But Tomlin came out on Monday and said the whole reason they went wildcat and involved Jalen Samuels on a season high rate of snaps is because Vance McDonald wasn't available. Really? And thus they only had Nick Vanette, who they trusted to be in on offense as one tight end. So if Vance McDonald's trending out again. This is an advantageous position to jump back on both James Conner and Jalen Samuels, whether Conner's healthy or not, because this Ravens defense, as we know, 
is is laughable. Uh, I genuinely don't think it's a hot take. I think they're very bad. Uh, you just go back 349 yards to Kyler Murray, 374 to Patrick Mahomes, and then last week 342 to Baker, and that doesn't include Nick Chubb's 165 and three. Like this Ravens defense is primed to get stomped on again by both Connor and Samuels. Pat, let's move over to the other game, the second one of the three: Jacksonville Jaguars at the Carolina Panthers. Uh, both teams are two and two. Panthers are three-and-a-half-point home favorites with a tiny, tiny, teeny total of 41 in this game. Pat, you have two workhorse backs in this one, so I don't need to ask you about Leonard Fournette. I don't need to ask you about Christian McCaffrey. But other people outside of those in this game, who are you excited about? We have to be excited about your boy Curtis Samuel, don't we? Uh, Listeners probably getting tired of hearing us talk about air yards, but we just do it because it's – such a great metric that we should have been using you know 10 years ago uh-huh. and has really come only come into vogue in the past two or three years but it's such a great predictor a predictive stat the kind that football is lacking and uh, uh curtis samuel's eighth in air yards right now and that's insane and he's drawn at least seven targets in three straight games so it's not like he's getting like two or three like 50 yard bomb targets a game and then not being targeted otherwise he's getting deep looks down the field. He's still getting solid overall volume of targets. And, you know, sooner or later, one of those is going to hit. And Jalen Ramsey looks like he's trending out again for this week. Uh, it's very, you know, do is not a thing. But, I mean, if they keep using Curtis Samuel the way they've been using Curtis Samuel, I mean, he's going to hit a big player too. And I am excited about him on a weekly basis still. So where do you rank DJ Moore as opposed to that? Because we just got let down by Kyle Allen um, we well, Bill O'Brien let us down in play calling that slowed the game down entirely. But where do you now rank DJ Moore across from Curtis Samuel? I have Samuel ahead of Moore this week, and it's probably the first. I think it's time right all year. Yeah, I have probably the first time I have finally, all year. Guys. But Josh is like Frickin throwing finally. it up to the clouds right now. He's so happy. <laughs> I've been I mean, I've DJ been Moore, doing this since was, May, guys. Since May, <laughs> you were well, right. DJ Moore had a, a seven seventy floor with Cam Newton, and it just doesn't have that same kind of connection right now with Kyle Allen. And I mean, this, the usage just isn't there. Uh, he was going to kind of be more of a floor. He had, he was going to have ceiling, but he's been, he was going to be more of a floor than ceiling player to begin with DJ Moore. And right now he just doesn't have the floor while Curtis Samuel has appeared to maintain his ceiling. So you kind of are just left with no choice, but during Curtis Samuel had a DJ Moore right now. I don't need to go back in this Gardner Minshew soliloquy that I wrote on Monday when the three of us were in studio but we need to stop worrying about like when this fun experiment ends and just enjoy the ride because I think Gardner Minshew is legit good and his yes. connection with DJ Shark is a lot of fun. fun. Um, Pat my biggest concern for this game is that the Panthers most likely would be out Trey Turner a great fantastic all pro guard and then without their new left tackle in Greg Little uh, both are injured and so a reshuffling of the offensive line more than they've had to so far this season is likely in store. And that's going against a Jacksonville Jaguars defense with the other Josh Allen looking quite good early in the season. Clayus Campbell playing like he's still young. I'm super nervous that the Panthers offense will look like they did against the Tampa Bay Bucks in that there'll be constant pressure on the quarterback. They won't know how to give him three seconds in the pocket, Kyle Allen this time. And so I would not be surprised at all if the key is, again, to stop Christian McCaffrey, which the Bucks are able to do. The blueprint might be out there a little bit if you play at a high level. I'm just nervous that this, this Panthers offense, even, again, home favorites here, just looks like trash against this Jaguars defense because of the offensive line questions. 
There's some definite huge Kyle Allen strip sack potential. You know, he was he was the QB one in strip sack leagues for week four. Uh, that could happen again. Uh, I, my feeling is that where there's McCaffrey, there's a way. It's the 16th most yards from scrimmage through four games in NFL history. And, you know, McCaffrey, I'm not worried about McCaffrey. I'm not worried about Samuel just because of the way they've been using him. I would be kind of worried about the rest if there is a rest with DJ Moore and Greg Olson, I guess. Uh, but you make a very valid point. I have to circle back, though, to Gardner Minshew Mania. Uh, you were saying you got to enjoy the ride. I, I hope you did enjoy it because it's over this week. Uh, the Panthers have more or less flattened Jared Goff, nope. James Winston, Kyler Murray, and Deshaun Watson. And uh, Minshew's going to get his mustache knocked right off his lip this week, Josh. Um, and uh, hopefully he can put it back on next week. But it's going to be a tough week for our favorite rookie. Carolina's defense, number four pass defense DVOA and the fewest net yards per attempt allowed. People aren't talking about that they're sack, racking up sacks, limiting this total total yard. They're just they're kind of doing it all. And, yeah, uh, and, and they've been doing it without yeah. Kwan Short, who's now on IR. They did it last week without Dante Jackson. I mean, Ross Cockrell stepped in very well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're dialing up these different looks and these different blitzes. Uh, Pat, now I'm just waiting for Gardner Minshew to throw four touchdowns in this game. All know, right, it's gonna it's gonna happen. He's gonna have his first like full Mike Leach week this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. Let's close out your hit with the Bucks at the New Orleans Saints. Saints uh, at home are three and a half favorites and over under of 47 in this game. Pat, in the first two weeks, you know, we looked in the mirror a little bit. And, you know, there was in the fantasy football world, there was a lot of hype, a lot of love for this Tampa Bay Bucks offense. And outside of Chris Godwin, it didn't really hit for those two weeks. In the past two weeks, it has hit basically all around to the tune that even your boy Rojo, Ronald Jones, has started playing oh really, really good football. So, Pat, what's real? What's real here? Is it the first two weeks? Is it the latter two weeks? Could it even get to a higher ceiling just for how much longer Jameis Winston is going to be playing under Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich? We, real quick on this podcast and one podcast, it's been revealed that I had supposedly compared my appearance to Roger Federer, and now I'm being slandered with my boy Ronald Jones. Um, <laughs> although he kind of was my boy, he was. Summer, so it's true. Uh, I can't really deny that. Pat, one. you might want uh, to accept it and really claim that as we move <laughs> forward because he played very well this past weekend. He has. He's cleared 70 rushing yards in three or four weeks. Uh, my opinion on. Uh, the Bucks this week is fire them up. We might have a little recency bias on the Saints after we just saw them kind of erase the Cowboys, but they've still allowed the fifth most receiver fantasy points. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore has allowed more yards in his coverage than any cornerback in the NFL this year. Uh, we know Eli Apple can give up big plays. Uh, they're middle of the pack on sacks. They're bottom third and turnovers forced, so they don't seem like a particularly daunting matchup for turnover machine Jameis Winston and uh yeah I'm not scared about that I have Jameis in the top 10 I think I have him number 10 I've got Godwin and Mike Evans both in the top 10 and I've got Rojo kind of ranked as like a, a nice little flex option so I uh, you know always famous last words when you're talking about Jameis Winston but I, I kind of have no fear with the Bucks offense this week so about the other side though because Michael Thomas has carried the sixth highest target share among all wide receivers the past two weeks with Teddy Bridgewater into this game. However, we now have essentially three weeks since Bridgewater didn't play the first two drives, but that's it whenever he came in. Um, three weeks of Teddy Bridgewater, and we've seen this offense, and they haven't, they haven't grown whatsoever. It has been strictly behind the line of scrimmage as they don't unleash Teddy Bridgewater, and we're talking about a Tampa defense now that's number one DVOA against the run, um, number 18 against passes 20-plus yards downfield. So where do you rank Michael Thomas in this game, and like, what do you believe his ceiling is? Because I personally don't consider it that high. 
Yeah, I tweeted earlier this week that the Panthers' defense has been underrated, and some people replied the Bucks' defense has been even more underrated, yeah. which is a very, very good point and something to remember kind of heading in to these matchups. But yeah, look, so say what you will about uh, Teddy Bridgewater. He's the one thing he has proven capable of is locking on to Michael Thomas. And, you know, we know with Michael Thomas and Drew Brees, it's not exactly like they had like a big downfield connection working. His average depth of target was still quite low under Drew Brees. So it really hasn't been that much of a change even for Michael Thomas. Definitely a lower overall ceiling. Cause he's, he, he would get some intermediate, some deep targets under Drew Brees. That's just not going to happen really with Teddy Bridgewater. But I still, ha- I still view Michael Thomas as like a top five or six weekly wide receiver just because of the volume and the touchdown potential. Uh, Alvin Kamara, you're right, it's a little more uncertain certain this week, but what what's like a worst case touch scenario for Alvin Kamara? Like 17? Like that's still someone you have to put in the top five running. He's going to almost certainly be over 20. And anytime a player as dynamic as Alvin Kamara gets that many touches, you just kind of have to hold your nose and rank them as an elite option. And, uh, but yeah, it is, you know, Teddy has been dispiriting to watch, but he has, we do have to maybe give him credit for, he hasn't killed Michael Thomas's value and he hasn't killed Alvin Kamara's value. Uh, big props to Greg Rosenthal, an ex-Roto-Worlder, and that list keeps growing. Uh, but yes, Greg Rosenthal, who <laughs> said that basically this is Sean Payton's Matt Castle, Bill Belichick moment here with Teddy Bridgewater. And obviously Tom Brady missed that entire season. Drew Brees will come back. But, I mean, two wins with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback and not pretty, but getting it no. done um, is major, major kudos to Sean Payton. And plus, yeah, and even if – even if they go winless the rest of the time, Drew Brees, I mean, he's almost already done his duty winning two extremely tough yep. games. Um, yep. So, yeah. Thanks, Pat. Again, you can check out his rankings. They are updated all the way up until kickoff. He changes them all the time, as you all know out mm-hmm. there. So go ahead and check them out. We are six games through our nine-game preview. So for the final three, let's bring on Handsome Hayden Winks, who writes the Fantasy Forecast column, and that's up on Roto World right now. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. Um Hayden, let's start with the Atlanta Falcons at the Houston Texans. Houston five-point home favorites here. Uh, two teams, Falcons one and three, Texans two and two. That Hayden, both teams probably haven't hit their stride, and a lot of it is probably due to the quarterbacks not fulfilling the potential of Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, and Will Fuller. Yeah, this is two teams that have that can be explosive. Their defenses are below average, and it's just kind of a get-right spot for for both teams, Julio Jones has a great matchup. The Texans have been vulnerable down the field. Um, Julio also can eat down like over the middle. And on the other side of the ball, the Falcons' defense has been okay against the run and then really weak against the pass. They can't rush the pass passer right now. So um, DeAndre Hopkins, after a couple brutal matchups against some elite corners, um, has a spot to really blow up. So let's talk about this for a second because Josh disagrees with me, but I'm still going to throw this on the table. I genuinely think if Kenny Stills is out, Kiki QT makes this offense better. And it's not that Deshaun Watson needs a safety blanket. It's the fact that they have been using a committee at tight end to get by in the flats and shallow, whereas QT actually opened himself up in the offense, hence his 10 targets average in the games he played 60-plus percent of snaps last year. Kenny Stills' average depth of target has been nearly 14 yards this year. Just meshing. It's, it's, it's three yards in comparison away from both Fuller and Hopkins. Just meshing routes. Whereas QT averaged eight-and-a-half average depth of target just last year. I genuinely think it helps this offense underneath, Josh. I think you've 
uh, substituted especially for genuinely now first. That's my first point. <laughs> okay. But the other point. Well, I was also ranting to you. The other point is Kiki Cutie, and I'm trying to remember last year, my memory fogs because I'm so old, that uh, he was using a lot of manufactured touches. And I don't know if that's really how they want this offense to be incorporated anymore. I also think Kenny Stills is a better football player than Kiki Cutie was. I also think that this perspective that we have, and Hayden, you might want to chime in here, yeah. on the Texans' offense would be different if Deshaun Watson had just hit DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller on those big vertical passes that he missed on last week. And that completely changed the scope and the tune of that game. It was two missed throws that were about a stride too long, and those have been massive big plays, and we would all have loved what the Texans did last week. And instead, it just didn't happen. I will say, with this Falcons defense, what we always talk about is that these linebackers play off they let everything attack underneath them, and then they run and chase and tackle. Who's going to be the player that attacks that area of the field for the Texans? Duke Johnson? Probably not. No. Deshaun Watson doesn't throw to his running backs unless it's buying time and then dumping it off like he did last week to Carlos Hyde. I wonder if they do use Kiki Cutie in that area. So maybe a light bulb moment just to go off with what you're saying. Hayden, what do you think? Yeah, I just don't think the – the volume is going to really be there. I think this is just a spot where they're going to feed the ball to Nuke and let him let him go to work. No Keanu Neal um, in the secondary. So, yeah, Will Fuller's had a ton of air yards, just hasn't really hit on them. Um, he's definitely due, like, across by-low models and all that stuff. So, yeah, I would – I mean, I guess you can call a Kute like a wide receiver four or five if you're in a deeper league. Um, I would try to avoid that situation. I just think it's just going to be DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. Yeah, it's and it's one of those, you talked about low volume. A.J. Brown didn't need a lot of volume last week against the Falcons. He played like 41% of the snaps, three targets, three catches, Two about touchdowns. 300 yards. And, I mean, his touchdowns were all individual efforts, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, the long one was where it was basically a two-man route that he caught in the middle of the field, 10 yards down the field. The Falcons just did not converge on him, and he outran everyone. DeAndre Hopkins could do that this week. For sure, DeAndre Hopkins could do that this week. Uh, Hayden, quickly, with Devontae Freeman, 47 carries this year, 157 yards, no touchdowns. I did not draft any Devontae Freeman, despite being a big fan of his. Uh, is this Devontae Freeman? Is this the Atlanta Falcons offensive line? Is it something else? Is it all of it combined? What's your outlook this week for Freeman? Yeah, I think it's kind of, kind of everything. The, the Falcons haven't been playing with the lead. That hurts Freeman. Freeman also hasn't been creating plays on his own. I don't really see either of those things happening this week, uh, the five-point dogs. And, yeah, I just think I think he's just kind of fallen out of, out of the game script a little bit. And, the, I mean, he's going to score some touchdowns eventually. But, yeah, I just – you can't really call him like a every week RB2 anymore, that's for sure. Next game is a fantastic one. The Green Bay Packers at the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are three-and-a-half-point favorites, 46 total in this one. Um, I know you want to talk about Ezekiel Elliott here and really what the rest of this Dallas Cowboys offense looks like, Hayden. Uh, I mean, we thought for the first three weeks the passing game was really the core of the offense, and Zeke and Tony Pollard were kind of complementary pieces. Uh, last week against the Saints, that passing game didn't really work as effectively as we maybe had hoped it would. So what do you think it's going to do against the Packers uh, defense this week, which has been one of the nice, not surprises necessarily, but changes across the league through the first four games? Right, definitely. So I'm kind of concerned that the first two weeks with the Cowboys offense was not them going super pass-heavy because they want to, but because they were trying to not just – run Zeke into the ground when he's coming off of his holdout. 
But this this is a week where the Packers defense has been really uh, it's been a run funnel. They have an elite secondary. Jair Alexander is really strong. Tim Kevin King, and they're in the bottom six percent against running backs in fantasy this this year. And this is just a spot where Zeke can really get going. Um, I know they want to establish the run if they can. They just paid him all that money, so yeah, I, I think this is this is a week where Zeke could be the RB one overall. Um, and then there's uh, some news with Michael Gallup might be able to return. I'm not sure if that's going to be uh, actually come come to fruition. It's kind of early on his timetable. But, yeah, I think it's just going to be a Zeke week overall. My concern for Zeke in a matchup that I probably shouldn't be concerned about is that, one, no Tyron Smith at left tackle. Two, Lyle Collins, who's been arguably their best offensive lineman day-to-day, has been very limited in practice the past few days. And now we get Zeke. The offense last week digressed into Jason Garrett's vision. And so I have a question mark if they do that again. And if they don't, that means Zeke basically isn't going to get used in the passing game as he was in the first three weeks. His 27 routes, despite the fact you see in the box score seven targets, he only the 27 routes were only four more than his previous season high. It was the same amount. Uh, he's just not doing much in the passing game they're not utilizing him as a complimentary piece as they have been previously as they were previously last year so let's say all that happens and Zeke for whatever reason um just runs for empty yardage where do you see Amari Cooper sliding in this week against a underrated Packers secondary yeah uh, the Packers have given up the fewest wide receiver points in fantasy they're passing DVOA is in the top 15 percent so, yeah, it's a tough matchup. Amari Cooper is going to get fed targets. They're at home. That's a pretty high team total of 25. So um, Amari Cooper's probably on the low end of the wide receiver one rankings this, this week. Um, still really bullish on him overall going forward, but uh, not an ideal matchup. Anything on the Packers side? Just realized offensively we hadn't mentioned them at all, which may be kind of fitting so far with yeah. Aaron Rodgers. But and no, Devontae year. Adams is big. It is, and I mean, we—he's probably not playing. He's def- yeah. I mean, he's doubtful, but I think we can go ahead and be forward-looking and say he's not going to play. So then, who steps up, Hayden, if anyone? Yeah, it, it's definitely been MVS so far this this year. The Cowboys secondary is also pretty good, so it's not the greatest matchup. Um, Geronimo Allison is going to slide in. Kumaros was practicing for the first time, so he might be able to get some chances, but. I think if I'm going to ride with anybody, it's going to be MVS. Maybe Geronimo Allison is a, a deep flex option. Um, and for Aaron Rodgers, you should definitely be looking at streaming options instead yeah. of uh, forcing him in. I, I think quietly it is going to be a great week for Jimmy Graham without Devontae Adams. I think the trickle-down effect helps him. Weeks two and three, injury report. Limited throughout the week. Shouldn't have played, honestly. Zero catches. But remember, weeks one through four, a touchdown and a 70% target share, 14 targets in those games. That's cute, Daigle. I, I generally think he's a great streaming <laughs> option. It's real cute. If you All read right. waiver wire, you know that, Josh. Let's close it out with the Sunday night football matchup. That's the Indianapolis Colts at the Kansas City Chiefs. A total of 54 in this game. As you know, the Chiefs are 4-0. The Colts are 2-2. I mean, Hayden. The Colts are a pretty good football team. You know, they might not be the most flashy, the most exotic. T.Y. Hilton has missed some time this year. They're, they're well-coached. They have a good defense, albeit somewhat injured. And Jacoby Brissett is not a bad quarterback when you look across the league. Yet, they are 10-and-a-half-point road dogs <laughs> in this game. Talk to me about, if anything, can the Colts get something going against the Chiefs offensively? 
Well, first, they have T.Y. Hilton's questionable, and same with Marlon Mack, so that definitely changes things, whether they play or not. The question for me is, the Chiefs have been a little vulnerable against the run, but can they actually run the ball if they're trailing a lot? So this is definitely a, um, a spot where Marlon Mack, if he's healthy, could try to keep this game closer. Um, but if, if T.Y.'s out, if Marlon Mack's out, it's going to be a struggle. The Chiefs are probably going to run away with this. The Colts, though, as we saw last week, uh, Jack Doyle played 73% of the offensive snaps. Eric Ebron hit on his long touchdown, but also had four drops, I believe, three or four, and he played 35% of the offensive snaps. I know you're going to include the air yards and whatnot in the fantasy forecast on Friday, but for right now, where do you sit on these tight ends? Yeah, if T.Y.'s out, I kind of like both of them. The the Chiefs are in the bottom 20 percentile against tight ends this, this year. And, I mean, they, they have to throw the ball to somebody. And Paris Campbell was the top guy last, last week with the most air yards and targets. Um, and then Zach Pascal, Chester Rogers, Deion Kane. Um, none of those names are really jumping off the, off the chart for me. So I think Ebron and Doyle are going to be involved. I mean, you can't get too fired up about them. They're just kind of streaming tight end two options for you. Um, but someone has to get targets. On the Chiefs' side, if Tyree Kill is active, you play him. Who knows how much yep. he plays, but you still play him because mm-hmm. he's in a Chiefs uniform. I will say, uh, in the previous podcast with Ian Harditz, we talked through backfields, and we mentioned that now the Chiefs, because Damian Williams is back to practicing, mm-hmm. Full. they might have three people in that backfield. They do have three with Sean McCoy and Daryl Williams. Um, Fran Duffy, who works with the Eagles, uh, mentioned to me, because we mentioned that it's so difficult for an NFL offense to support three running backs that Andy Reid has done this previously. Back in 2003, he did it with Deuce Daly, Carell Buckhalter, and Brian Westbrook. Now, I don't know if any of the three talents that the Chiefs have are as good as any of the three that were on the Eagles at that time, but it shows you that he does have that in his history. And that also shows you, Hayden, that none of these, despite being on the best offense in the NFL, might be – um, fantasy usable, like one will end up being that, but it might be tough to project that heading into the game. Yeah, I can't really comment on the Eagles running back situation back then. Were you born then in 2003? Yeah, no, I was, it was like, in the I was like four years old. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is just going to be really complicated with with three running backs involved, but it's like so hard to sit them. The offense is so explosive. They've got a huge, they're huge favorites again. Um, Shady and Damian, I think if you have them, you have to start them. I think Darrell Williams, you could think about keeping him on your bench, but the Colts are last in run DVOA, so um, it's just a smash spot. I think you just have to start him. As we collect more information as the season goes along, I think the only mistake you can make is to think Damian Williams comes right back and gets 60-plus percent of the snaps. Mm. That's the only mistake. So if you had LaShawn McCoy and Darrell Williams, you would play both, Daigle? I mean, it depends Uh, on who uh, else is on your roster. Okay, so – I would play both LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams. Dar- Not Daryl Williams. I don't think I'd play Daryl Williams. Okay. That makes sense. Unless, like, you were stressed by Lions buys, if for some reason you stacked their offense before <laughs> the season, then sure. But uh, Damian and LaShawn, I would play both. All right. That is Hayden Winks. Hayden, again, writes the Fantasy Forecast column. Be sure to check that out. It is a wealth of information. And also check out Pat's rankings. Uh, Daigle and I will be back this Sunday, maybe mm-hmm. just the two of us. Who knows? For Rotoworld Live, noon Eastern on Rotoworld, or excuse me, twitch.tv slash Rotoworld. Um, all of you out there, if you enjoyed this nine game preview, how we did this Thursday episode, let us know. 
Tell us on Twitter, wherever else. Um, and again, we are verging on the next 100 of reviews on iTunes. Positive ones would be great. You know, just be nice. Be kind to one another. Uh, and so help us out there as well. And tell one friend, as always. And I just spilled coffee on my jeans, so I'm going to walk out with my fist over my crotch. There we go. There's a callback. What a full circle this podcast but it's true. was. So for Pat, for Hayden, for John Daigle, I'm Josh Norris. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.